0: the children uh, are dismissed if they want to go with um, Larissa and Rachel and uh, go to Children's Chapel. You can turn in your Bible to Amos chapter 7, October In October of uh, 1517, uh, maybe that date is already familiar to you, Martin Luther uh, nailed uh, famously his 95 Theses on the Power and Efficacy of Indulgences to the doors of Castle Church in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, in the uh, Holy Roman Empire. The the Roman Catholic Church (coughs) had been... um, Basically, fundraising um, for building projects, and one of their strategies was the sale of indulgences, which was a written um, guarantee of the remission of uh, temporal punishments for sins. It wasn't it wasn't a get out of hell card. It was kind of more like a get out of purgatory card. Uh, if you were on your way to heaven, but you had to spend some time suffering for and being cleansed of your sin. Um, in purgatory, um, sometimes they thought in, in terms of years, in terms of how long that would, uh, that would be, that suffering in purgatory. Um, so you're going to spend a couple hundred years there? Well, step right up, folks, and by yourselves, uh, out of a hundred of those years, uh, transfer the righteous deeds of the saints uh, who are in heaven to your account um, and spare yourself and someone you love the time in purgatory. And all proceeds go to the church in Rome. It sounds, um, it sounds a little bit odd to us, right? A little bit crazy, actually. But in Luther's day, the teachings of the church went largely unquestioned um, until people like Luther questioned them. And Luther um, got a, just a great story in his life of um, his going to the truth of God's word, the Holy Scriptures, and... Um, and then exposing the falsehoods of the the teachings of the church of that day and exposing the falsehoods of things like the indulgences. Well, in those 95 theses where he exposed those falsehoods, of course, the church didn't appreciate that um, or many other of Luther's writings. And in June 1520, so about three years later, the pope issued a letter in which he censured Luther and demanded that he recant his views um, or face excommunication And early the next year, uh, there was kind of a a conference, (laughs) kind of a church conference uh, called together in 1521, the Diet of Worms. Um, And it was assembled uh, and convened by the emperor. Uh, And so the church and the state joined forces against Martin Luther um, and commanded him to renounce his views on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, um, which challenged the authority of the Roman church. And his response to them, probably a lot of you are familiar with this uh, little paragraph, but his response to them went something like this. I consider myself convicted by the testimony of Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Thus, I cannot and will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Uh, and they declared him a heretic, right? and um, issued a reward for his capture. That's a very important, uh, very accurate illustration in church history of what's going on in our text this morning. Amos, um, Amos was a prophet, specially called by God to speak His truth in the political and religious establishment of his day didn't want to hear that truth and they told him uh, to knock it off so that they could continue to ignore that truth right so they could deny it and suppress it and um, rather than back down and deny what he knew to be true Amos uh, clung to the truth and he continued to proclaim God's word in the face of opposition so that's what we're going to talk about this morning Um, three things what uh how we tend to respond to the idea of God's truth. Uh, Secondly, how we should respond to God's truth. And then third, how we can proclaim God's truth uh, even when we meet opposition in this world. So so let's pray and then we'll read Amos chapter 7. Our Father, uh, your Son praise for us that you would sanctify us by your truth and that your word is truth. And so we pray that as we consider your word this morning that um, anything that I have to say which does not bring honor to your name and is not in accord with your truth would fall away from our memories forever and um, that your word, would endure forever in our hearts and in our minds, that it would grow and become more important to us. We pray that you would penetrate our lives deeply by your truth and change us by it, sanctify us by it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts. When the latter growth was just beginning to sprout, and behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings, which is uh, there was a former growth and a latter growth, and the king's mowings, it's kind of the taxes he took of the, uh, the first fruits there to be able to feed his, um, his animals. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, the locusts, I said, Oh Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against Israel. The house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of a kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line and you yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So did you catch how many times uh, Amos said something like, this is what the Lord God showed me, or um, the Lord said this, or thus says the Lord? Uh, It's quite a few times, right? Um, When people argue about absolute truth, they're usually talking about truth in a spiritual sense, aren't they? Uh, not so much things like math or physics or biology. Uh, I think it's actually quite common for people to uh, uh, to want there to be some kind of absolute truth in terms of, you know, maybe we can provide some physics or mathematical formula that explains everything in the universe so that we can kind of have a, a grip on everything. Um, but, uh, but when people argue about absolute truth, they're usually arguing about spiritual things. People argue over whether there is a God and whether his existence and his attributes can be considered true. Um, people argue over whether there are right and wrong ways to think about God, to think about the divine, or to relate to the divine. Uh, people argue over whether there's a, an ultimate universal moral law that's binding on all people everywhere throughout history. People argue over whether there's a sort of a supreme eternal timeline, a direction of history with points A and points uh, Z decreed by an infinite sovereign being. So we can't get into an exhaustive, uh, theoretical, philosophical debate about absolute truth. Um, but we can talk about how people tend to respond to the idea of biblical truth, uh, absolute truth from a biblical perspective. The Bible says in many places that we just have a natural aversion to it. Right? We have a natural aversion to the truth. We rebel against it. We hide from it. We deceive ourselves out of believing it. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, says that we suppress the truth. Uh, Jesus says that left to ourselves, um, our ears are deaf to the truth. Our instinctive reaction to absolute spiritual truth is to, um, to deny it or to distort it. And this is completely understandable because the the truth makes demands on us. It makes claims about us. Um, It exposes us and it threatens us. That's pretty clear from a passage like this one where God's truth is that because of sin, he's going to send locusts to uh, consume all the crops and create a famine, bring devastation to the land, or because of sin, He's going to send a judgment uh, fire, a a fire of judgment to consume the deep, consume the sea, burn up the sea, and uh, to consume the land. The absolute truth that we're supposed to believe about God is that he is righteous, that he is holy, so holy that even angels who never sinned, even innocent Holy angels themselves dread to look upon him for fear of his holiness. And the truth that we're supposed to believe about God is that in his holiness, he is angry. He is rightfully angry at us for our sin. And not only is he just and angry, but he is God. And he can do something about his anger, like destroy the world. And um, the truth about God is also that he is patient, but he's been patient for a long time already, and that won't last forever, Amos Amos discovers. In his patience and his mercy, he hasn't destroyed the world uh, yet. Uh, but one day he will come in judgment and his judgment will be just and he'll take each one of us and measure us by his own standard like a carpenter measures a wall uh, with a plumb line to see if it's straight you mean, probably most of you are familiar with a plumb line it's just a, a string with a weight hanging on the end of it so that gravity pulls it down in a straight line to check how straight that wall is that you built a lot of times now we do it with lasers <laughs> um uh, But it's pretty simple. If the wall's straight, if it matches up to that that standard, then it'll stand. If it's leaning even a little bit, uh, it'll fall someday. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but someday that wall is going to fall. And that is uh, God's truth. God's truth is absolute. God's truth is ultimate. It's objective, right? Not subjective. It's objective. Whether you acknowledge it or not, whatever your connection to that truth is, uh, doesn't really matter. It's there um, hanging over all of our heads. Uh, So really it's no wonder that we try to deny it and explain it away. uh, That we even participate in kind of a corporate self-delusion a lot of times, right? We find some comfort in agreeing together that there's no such thing as God or his judgment or absolute spiritual truth, right? We're most successful, I think, at avoiding the real claims of truth by getting right up close to it, by being good, moral, religious people who uh, convince ourselves that the, the truth is on our side, all the while actually holding God's self-revelation at arm's length. That's what Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, was doing. He would built his life in such a way so as to convince himself that he knew the truth about God, that he knew God, and that God was pleased with him. And when Amos came and declared God's word to him that God was not pleased with him, God was not pleased with his people, um, then he couldn't bear it. And he wanted to send Amos away so that he wouldn't have to listen anymore. He represented the church and got the state involved, right? He sent for Jeroboam, the king, told Amos he was being politically incorrect for speaking against the National Cathedral in Bethel. And being politically incorrect is a dangerous position to hold. So why don't you just go down, make yourself comfortable down in that southern kingdom, um, and get away from here. He leveraged all kinds of human authority against Amos uh, to threaten him, to get him to shut up about the absolute truth. That's exactly what happened to Martin Luther in the early 1500s. Even more importantly, that's exactly what happened to Jesus Christ who was brought before the religious and the political leaders of his own day, the Jewish Sanhedrin and the the Roman uh, governor, Jesus, who described himself as the truth, who taught God's word and backed it up with extraordinary miracles, whose authoritative presence stood as a threat to autonomous humanity. Uh, This Jesus was hauled into court by the very ones who claimed to have the truth. The truth personified came into the world and we rejected him and condemned him and killed him in order to be free of him. To make... God's claim on our lives go away, to be able to live our lives according to our own truth, whatever we would like to uh, to conjure up that to be. That's how we tend to respond to the idea of uh, absolute truth from God. The big problem with that response is um, even though we killed him, Jesus is alive, never to die again. The truth is alive and well, and he's the Lord of the universe, uh, whether you acknowledge it or not. And he's got locusts and fire and exile in store for people who suppress the truth. So uh, how should we respond to God's truth? Uh, You've got to realize that um, in responding to absolute truth, God's truth You're responding to a person, not just a set of abstract ideas. God's truth is inescapable. He came into the world once, and he'll come into it again. You can't run from him. You can't hide from him. Um, Ignoring him is a very bad idea. We've got to stop our rebellion against the truth and simply submit ourselves to it, to him. And the good news about that proposal is that Jesus, the truth from God, came into the world, he said, not to condemn the world, but to save it. Um, God's truth is that even though you and I deserve his righteous anger, he loves us and he sent his son Jesus to die in our place at the cross. The absolute, ultimate, objective, divine truth is that Jesus stands as a living mediator between you and a holy God, having shed his own blood as a holy sacrifice for our sins, and he pleads for mercy for you and for me, and God listens to his son's plea. Jesus is a far better mediator than Amos, right? Amos saw the locusts, he saw the fire coming, and he begged God, O Lord God, please forgive, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. Amos didn't appeal to any redeemable quality in Jacob. He didn't say, Israel's not that bad. Or they've got good potential, they're worth it. Just forgive them, give them another chance. He just appealed to God's mercy. Sheer mercy. And when Jesus appeals to God's mercy on our behalf, he does not minimize our sins He does not paint a rosy picture of us. He says to his father, who loves his son more than he loves anything. He says to his father, look at my blood. I died for them. Let my death count for them. Let my life be credited to them. In your mercy, forgive them and love them just as you love me. That's the truth from God that makes everything that God says easier to submit to. When you become a Christian, the gospel causes you to transition from complete resistance to God's truth to now only a partial resistance to God's truth, um, to what he says. We all have places in our lives where it's still difficult to submit to the truth that we see in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, We still don't like to have to confess our sins. We still don't understand God's law at every point. We're still reluctant to let his truth shape us, to conform our lives to his will in every way. But when we encounter the, the difficult truth of God, those things that we would naturally resist, in light of the truth of the gospel, that absolute truth, then we know that God is out to do us good. He is not out to do us harm. The absolute truth for those who trust in the sacrifice of Jesus is that God gave everything to adopt us as his sons and daughters, and if he's done that, then even though his truth can still bring friction into our lives, it is done um, not because God stands against us, not because that truth is against us. The truth is for us because Jesus is for us. And that's why we can drop our resistance and submit to him, and that's how we can safely place ourselves under God's word instead of over it. So that should be our response as a, a humble submission and a glad submission to God's truth. Because of the gospel, how can we proclaim God's truth knowing that um, we're not the only ones who resist it, but that other people in our lives um, have a propensity to resist it and oppose us, right? Even violently sometimes. Uh, we, we face opposition it's going to be a rare moment for any of us um, that we would find ourselves in Amos' position or Martin Luther's position or in the uh, position of the apostles who were dragged in front of the authorities and ordered to stop um, under threat of death. It's going to be a rare moment, right? But Jesus promised us that if they persecuted him, then they will persecute us, right? And Paul told us that. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, he said that people hate to hear the truth. Right? He said that in our New Testament reading from Second Timothy. People hate to hear the truth. That even people in the church don't like it. And a lot of times they'll seek to replace uh, teachers who are faithful to the truth with teachers who just tell them something that they want to hear that doesn't uh, rub them the wrong way. Right. nevertheless the command for uh, timothy a command for us is to continue to preach the gospel to proclaim the truth the absolute truth about god the biblical truth in spite of the opposition that we encounter to the message right so how can we do that how can we be like amos Uh, who refused to shut his mouth even though it meant um, he was going to be in trouble with the authorities, right? Um, I think there are a couple of helps to us in our text. First, Amos relied heavily on the fact that the truth that he proclaimed was in fact coming from God himself. This wasn't just something he cooked up on his own. It wasn't something he decided to do on a whim, uh, this whole prophet gig. Um, he was just a farmer, minding his own business. He was a happy farmer. Right? He was successful. God took him from the flock, got hold of his life, and redirected him. Divine, absolute truth was revealed to him, and that bolstered his confidence in his message. It gave him courage, and that's the kind of thing that gives us courage, is when you know the truth on a personal level, when you know Jesus Christ, when you know His word and the way that it's worked in your lives, uh, you know that that truth that you have is from God. And, um, and that's what you need to cling to and, and find courage in. Another help to us is um, in how we do this is, is the sympathy that Amos felt toward his fellow Israelites. It is, uh, it is evident from the way that he pleaded with God for their forgiveness even though he knew that they deserved judgment Amos uh, like all the prophets was keenly aware of his own sin his own uh, weaknesses his own need for God's grace and of the provision of God's grace keenly aware of it and that helped him to connect with the people to whom he prophesied you cannot read his prophecy here as Amos getting angry with his hearers. Right? You've got to read it as his expression of compassion and sorrow. Right? So you can't read <clears throat> um, the end of our chapter 7 as you're telling me not to prophesy. Well, hellfire and brimstone for you. Right? Um, that's not how he's doing. You're telling me not to prophesy. But I have to And this is what God says because of your refusal to hear him. Your wife's going to be a prostitute. And your children are going to die by the sword. No one who's um, received mercy from God can say that without pity, without compassion without hoping that the one who is continuing in his rebellion against the truth would turn away from his rebellion and find mercy. If you're a Christian, you have been in that person's shoes, right? The person with whom you're sharing the gospel, the person with whom you're you're speaking into their lives with the truth of the scriptures, the absolute truth from God, and they're, uh, they're gritting their teeth at you, they're shunning you. They're cutting off their relationship from you. They're treating the messenger poorly because of the message that's coming their way. If you're a Christian, you've been in that person's shoes. Right? You know what it's like to resist God's truth. And you know that the only thing that overcomes that resistance, that overcomes your resistance, is God's persistent Mercy and patience and gracious work in your life to convince you of the gospel so um, even if someone's opposing you for bearing God's truth you can relate to them with compassion and you can imitate your Savior's, Savior's persistent mercy and keep laboring to bring the gospel to bear in that person's life you are a messenger of God called to proclaim his truth and that truth is ultimately good news that the world desperately needs so let your demeanor be characterized by that amen let's uh let's pray father we pray that you would help us um, to accept your word We pray that you would help us to accept it as it is, as it comes to us, straight from you. We pray that you would help us not to twist it, not to distort it to our own ends, not to make it uh, serve us, but that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to, uh, to be laid bare by your truth and to be transformed by it in a way that is uh, good for the people around us. So that we would not um, use the truth as a weapon against other people to make ourselves feel more righteous, but that we humbly would um, cling to your truth and show other desperate people uh, the truth that they so desperately need in their lives. If they're going to have a real relationship with you and be saved from their sins, we pray that you would help us to be good messengers of your gracious word in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.